Everybody glad you're here. I thank God for you. Those joining us online, we're glad you're here for this moment because this is a Veterans Day weekend and um, I wanted to set aside a, a special time to honor uh, those men and women who have uh, served in one branch or another of our nation's armed forces. So uh, if you are a veteran, if you'd please stand right now, we would like to personally and publicly express our respect and our appreciation uh, for your service. Thank you very much. Hey, if, you'd, if you stay standing just a moment, I wanna, I wanna pray over you. And if the whole church family could agree with me in this prayer, would you bow with me, please? Our Father God, you are perfect in faithfulness. And you express your faithfulness in the hearts of those who faithfully serve. These veterans, these men and women, they are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus. They did the good things that you had prepared in advance for them to do. And we pray your goodness, rain your goodness down on them. Grant them peace, grant them hope. Most of all, grant them your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Hey, um, yeah, we, do, we love you and we thank, thank God for you. Um, when my Debbie and I were in our 20s, we were wilderness camping in uh, the Gore Mountain Range in Colorado. I think I have a picture. Yeah, beautiful spot. And uh, our last day there, man, I just hated to leave the, the mountains. And so I got up early and just went on a hike uh, by myself. I just wanted to soak in some final moments uh, in the Rockies. And when I got to uh, Gore Creek, I just sat down by that mountain stream and just watched the water cascade uh, by me. But there was one spot uh, in the stream that caught my attention. Really, it mesmerized me. Water, as it came down, was kind of jumping up and slamming against a big rock. And when it hit the rock with that slap, spray went up. A multiple droplets of water. They kind of caught the glint, uh, glint of the sun and then... As quick as they were up, they were back down and gone. Nothing. Had I not been there, unnoticed. And I don't know what happened in my heart, but this sense of darkness came over me. And as I watched those droplets flash and then disappear in the stream, I thought, dang, that's my life. I'm just like one of those drops of water and all kinds of drops of water here and gone, nothing. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. Unnoticed by anyone. I'm sure I'm not alone and having a kind of moody moment, if you will. Probably you felt the same thing, thought the same thing about yourself. Um, Maybe it wasn't by a mountain stream. Maybe you had a pile of laundry on your bed and you're folding another load in a whole endless stream of laundry and you're thinking, this is my life. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. Unnoticed. Or maybe it was when you lost your job. Man, that lock, walk to the car knowing you're going to tell your wife, knowing 
unaware of where stuff was going to come from for your family food. And you just thought to yourself, no one notices me. What's happening to me? I'm nothing. I'm nobody. Or for you, maybe it was the divorce. That first few days, weeks, months, you just kind of choked on the darkness. I'm nothing. Unnoticed by anyone. I'm nobody. Well, there's this guy, this man, young man, late teens, early 20s in the Bible. His name is Peter, and he is having a major league moody moment. He's able to do what he loves to do. He's a commercial fisherman, and it's a pretty good life. He catches fish for a living. That's how he pays the rent. That's how he puts groceries on the table. That's how he gets money in his pocket. He catches fish, catches fish. But this past night, he has fished with his friends, his brother Andrew, his partners, James and John. They had fished all night long. They did everything they knew to do. They did their best. They tried everything and came up empty, nothing. And now as Peter sits on the shore, cleaning nets that came out empty, he just, he just repeating the mantra to himself, man, I'm nothing. I am nobody, unnoticed by anyone. Um, here's how the Bible pulls back the curtain on that scene. The word of God reads like this. Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He he noticed. Did you get that? Jesus always notices whatever the, 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 the moody moment, whatever the sense of emptiness and nothing. He is watching. He sees. He cares. He has con, uh, compassion and he wants to fill up the emptiness with himself. Whether it's standing in an unemployment line or doing the laundry or sitting by a mountain stream or walking out of a divorce court, Jesus notices and walks with us. He noticed two empty boats by the water's edge. Empty boats. Those two empty boats were all the evidence, irrefutable beyond debate, that Peter needed to validate that he was nothing. Unnoticed. Nobody. He would never be anybody. He would never be somebody big because in his day, to be somebody big, I mean, to be really a big somebody, you had to be a rabbi's follower. A rabbi was a teacher, and those are the big dogs of the day. Not business people, and not political people, rabbis, teachers. And if you wanted to be somebody big, you had to be a rabbi's follower. That never worked out for Peter, you see. In his day, 30 AD, every little Jewish boy got a shot at the big time. They went to school. 
At school, they learned the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And through the years, they studied those five books. And when, when they got to graduation, uh, the best got to go on to what we call high school. And in what we would call high school, they memorized the word of God verbatim, word for word. And then at graduation from what we would call high school, the best of the best, oh my gosh, they got an interview with a rabbi, a real interview. I mean, their parents talked to the neighbors, told the relatives, my son's got an interview with a rabbi. And when that young man sat down across the table or in an office or in a, a room with the rabbi, if the rabbi thought, oh, this is a good kid, but um, he's probably not gonna cut it. The rabbi would say, uh, you're a good young man. You would probably be better off going home, practicing the family trade, something like fishing. But if the rabbi listened to the young man and, and thought this young man is extraordinary, this young man has got what it takes, the rabbi would lean close and say to him, friend, you got it in you to be like me. You got it in you to do what I do. Come, follow me. Never happened for Peter. So he had to settle for fishing. But he is sitting in the most painful moment of his young life, consumed by a sense of failure. And how is he going to tell his wife? How is he going to provide? I mean, what if this happens again? How does the mortgage or how does the rent get paid? I wanted to ask you this morning, when was the last time, man, you had a, a very personal major league moody moment? And no matter what you tried to tell yourself, you could not shake the sense, I am nothing. Unnoticed by anyone, I am nobody. Well, I believe God has brought you here today so Jesus can do for you what he did for Peter. Do you, do you know what Jesus did for Peter, he knocked on the side of his boat. Peter consumed and fixing and mending and cleaning his nets, turns to see Jesus standing knee deep in shoreline water, Sea of Galilee. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus, he actually climbed into the boat that was Peter's and asked him to put out a little from shore. And sitting there, that's how rabbis taught, they sat. Which probably means I don't have anything to say, standing up here. Sitting there, he taught the crowd. Now, remarkably, uh, Coincidentally, if you believe in coincidence, the very moment that Peter was finished cleaning his nets, mending his nets, putting his nets stored away, at that very moment, Jesus stops teaching, dismisses the crowd, turns around, stands and says to Peter, hey, I got this great idea. Let's you and me, let's go fishing. And Peter looks at Jesus like he is nuts. Peter didn't feel like fishing. Peter still feels like nothing. He didn't want to fail again. Jesus says, let's go fishing. And here's what Jesus says. 
He says, put out into the deep water. Put down your nets for a catch. And this Peter's like thinking in his head, what is the matter with you? You don't fish in the daytime. You fish at night. It's one of the things I loved about going to Israel. Love going out for a nighttime stroll down by the Sea of Galilee because you could see the Sea of Galilee ringed with the lights of fishing boats, fishing the shallows. You don't fish the deep water, you fish the shallows. You don't fish during the day, you fish at night. That's when you catch stuff. At least that's when you usually catch stuff. I mean, that's what I think Peter's thinking. But here's what comes out of his mouth. Peter says, Rabbi, man, we worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, if you say so, Jesus, if you say so, I will let down the nets. See, this is a defining moment in Peter's life. He does not want to go fishing again. He does not feel like it. He does not feel like failing again. He does not feeling uh, letting those voices whisper in his head again, you're nothing. You are unnoticed by anyone. You're nobody. But he learns the secret to living a hugely significant life. The secret to living a hugely significant life is that you obey Jesus no matter how you feel. Somebody say amen. amen. Okay, I feel better. No, no matter how you feel in your marriage, you obey Jesus. No matter how you feel regarding your parents, you obey Jesus regarding your parents. No matter how you feel about inflation, you obey Jesus with your money. No matter how you feel about being busy, you obey Jesus regarding your time. You obey Jesus regarding his words. You, you obey Jesus in prayer no matter how you feel. That's the secret to a hugely significant life. Obey Jesus no matter how you feel. So Peter does it. Doesn't want to do it. Doesn't feel like doing it. But because Jesus says so, he pushes out in the deep water. Oh, this is going to be really good. And practiced hands, opens the box, pulls out the nets, unfurls the nets, and slings the nets out over the sea, where they hover, defying gravity for just a moment, like webbed frisbees. And then smack, they slap the surface of the sea. And before Peter can blink his eye, some fierce, unseen force drives those nets beneath the surface. The ropes attached to the nets go zipping, zipping, zipping out of the boat. Without thinking, calloused hands grab those ropes. Arms dive down into the sea. Pull. Nothing. Pull. They won't budge. They yell for help. Help. Fish. Their partners on shore, James and John, glide their boat alongside. More fishermen's well-muscled arms into the water. Grab the nets. Pull. They won't budge. Pull. The nets literally begin to tear in their hands. So they hold with one hand and begin to haul fish with the other. The boats fill up with fish until the boats are barely afloat. So full are they of fish. And suddenly, Peter just lets go. Drops the last fish. Wades his way knee deep through fish 
to Jesus. He doesn't shake the hand of Jesus and say, man, I want to go fishing with you again. He doesn't laugh and say, oh, that was awesome, and slap Jesus on the back. He doesn't give Jesus a big old fisherman bear hug. He falls to his knees. I think he's weeping. He says, Jesus, you got to get away from me. I'm the worst kind of loser. I'm worse than nobody. I'm a, I'm a sinful man. I'm nothing. Unnoticed. And then in my imagination, I see Jesus kneeling down by Peter. He's not going to leave him face first in fish. Puts his arm around him. And he leans over and he speaks into Peter words that Peter never thought he would ever hear his entire life. Jesus says, friend, I believe you have it in you to be like me. I think Peter looks up and looks at Jesus. Jesus says, that's right. Friend, I believe you got it in you to do what I do. Come, follow me. Here's what I know for sure that Jesus adds. Scripture says, Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And so what if, I mean, Jesus is as present now in this room as he was in that boat 2,000 years ago. He's here. He is the eternal Christ without beginning, without end. He is here. He is present. And not just present in this space, but he is present by your side. He is in the breath you breathe. And he is whispering over your soul. You have it in you to be like me. You have it in you to do what I do. Come. Follow me. It's not a question of if Jesus would say that. Jesus is speaking. The question is, do you have ears to hear? And with a hearing heart, as Jake suggested earlier, how would you respond? How do you respond? Jesus is calling you. How do you respond? Well, last weekend... Over 400 of our people uh, responded to the call of Jesus by picking up these Jesus Changes Everything uh, conversation packets. Over 420 people here at the Beloit campus, 50 people at our Janesville campus. And I wanted to give you the opportunity to do the same. We still have some. They are available as you go out. But I want to show you, I mean, on the outside, this one doesn't have a bracelet um, because I've been wearing the bracelet 24-7, and I was in Walmart this week, and a, a lady comes up to me who, you know, I, I see there on some kind of regular basis, and we say hi, and she notices the bracelet, and she said, what's that? I said, it says Jesus changes everything. That's what I'm teaching right now at, uh, at church, and it sparked the faith conversation and an opportunity to invite her to, to join us here at, at Central, but let me show you this quick video on how to how to use the packet. It's kind of cool. 
I mean, typically, uh, people go to church, uh, come up with all kinds of excuses on why not to invite their friends or family or neighbors or coworkers to join them. But, you know, I, I got to tell you this. We've been in Luke 5, and, and Luke got this story from eyewitnesses. Maybe he interviewed Andrew, who was in the same boat with Peter. I don't know. But here's what I know. Mark, in his account, he interviewed Peter. And do you know what Peter told him happened? He said, here's what Jesus said to me. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You see, Jesus takes responsibility. It's not on me and Walmart. It's not on you with a friend or a family member, or a coworker or a neighbor. Jesus, I'll take responsibility for it. You just follow me. I'll do it. And he gives us tools. There's training available, obviously. He wants us to flourish in our efforts to follow him. In fact, this is how the story, this is the real climax of the story. It's not about two big boatloads full of fish. Not about a big miracle. Here's the climax. And as soon as they landed, James and John in their boat and Peter and Andrew in their boat, as soon as they landed, they left everything. They walked away from two huge lucrative catches of fish. How many months of rent would that have covered? How many weeks of groceries? How much money to bank? How much money to carry around in their pockets? They walked away from it. Why? The same reason I, when I walked away from that mountain stream back in my 20s, it's funny, it was late summer. Within less than a year, a church in a town I'd never heard of before, Beloit, Wisconsin, calls me and asks if I would come and serve as pastor. You know what got me away from that stream and got that junk out of my head? It was the belief that following Jesus is the only life worth living. Leave all the rest behind. Look at the rest of the text. As soon as they landed, they left everything and followed. Say followed. Everybody follows something. Everybody follows someone. They followed Jesus. Now that word in English uh, doesn't quite catch it. I want to show you the Greek word. And Luke originally wrote this story down. Here's the Greek word he used. Okalalutheo, or something like that. If, I, if I'm smoking crack, I can say that better. That Greek word means to walk the same road together. These guys are like, hey, nothing matters to us. They're all young. They're all 19, 20, 21 years old. John, he's the youngest. He's maybe 15 or 16. But they all walk away to walk the same road together with Jesus. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like saying yes to Jesus. And I, I'll tell you the truth. I've drifted off of that road before. And every time I've gone my own way, done my own thing, it has been hard, hurtful times for David. But every time I come back, Jesus is there welcoming me with open arms, walking me into forgiveness, walking me out of my sins, walking me into grace, walking me into mercy, walking me into his supernatural power, walking me into hope, walking me into joy, walking me into love. 
But, but here's the huge question. How do you get on the same road? How do you get on that road and walk together with Jesus? How does that happen? Well, three years later, after this account, three years later, Peter is faced with that very question. And here's how he answers it. He says this, hey, change your life. You're on the wrong road. Everybody follows something. Everybody follows someone. You're going the wrong direction. Change your life. Turn to God. Get going in the right direction. Turn to God and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? So your sins are forgiven. Walk into forgiveness. Walk into new life. Let the, put the old behind you. Walk into forgiveness. Peter said those words with authority for, because for three years he had heard Jesus say the very same thing with authority. He didn't say it with, uh, as a suggestion or as an option. or didn't, Jesus didn't say, well, I, I'm thinking that maybe this will help you. No, he said definitively. Here's what Peter heard Jesus say for three years. Mark 16, 16. Anyone who believes in me and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe me will be condemned. And so I'm compelled. I got to make a big ask. I've got to invite you to get on the road and walk together, all of us, with Jesus. And, and so if you've never experienced him fully by surrendering to him completely, being buried with him in baptism. And the Bible says, don't you know, but when you are baptized, you are buried with Christ and the same power God uses to raise you up out of the water, that's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the power that he puts in your life and he puts your life then on a whole new trajectory. You're walking together on the same road with Jesus. So I'm gonna invite you. If you would stand with me now. I'm going to pray over you. Our band's going to come out and um, lead us. We'll sing with them. And if something has gone off in your heart today, that's God touching you. That's Jesus calling you to himself. That's the spirit of the living God whispering over your soul. You got it in you to be like Jesus. You got it in you to do what he does. Come, follow me, follow me in baptism. Come, follow me. Follow me into new life. Follow me into sins forgiven. Follow me into being cleansed of all guilt and shame. Come, follow me into baptism. I'm gonna pray. Our band's gonna play. We're gonna sing. And I'm gonna invite you to come right to the front and meet me right down here. And I'll help you with this very beautiful and profound spiritual experience. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, right now, go heart to heart, Lord Jesus. And just whisper, let there be ears to hear. You say, you got it in you to be like, like me. You got it in you to do what I do. Come, follow me. We want to be the church that follows Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill this room with the loving kindness of God. Draw people to Jesus and life forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.